my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully, you guys are having a fantastic week. Uh, great show for you today. I was joined by my friend Eric Brakey. Always a great time talking to Eric. Uh, we discussed the recent victories at the Supreme Court and how they will affect uh, the fight for individual liberty moving forward. Uh, we talked about how the Dobbs decision may affect uh, the midterms, if at all. Uh, we, we covered a lot. I think you guys will enjoy it. Uh, before I get to Eric, if you haven't already, guys, please follow us on Twitter at No Gimmicks Pod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, uh, wherever you get your podcasts podcasts make sure to subscribe if you are an apple user please take a couple seconds to leave us a five-star rating and a good review i'd really appreciate that and if you like the podcast and want to get involved you can support us monthly over on patreon patreon.com slash the no gimmicks podcast all right without further ado the great eric breaky all right guys we're here with my brother eric breaky eric how you been man i'm doing well it's good to reconnect with you, Brady. Absolutely, man. You've been hard at work on the uh, on the campaign trail. How's all that been going? You know, I'm knocking doors, talking to voters, and one thing that is universal, Republican, Democrat, Independent, whatever people's party registration, everyone's paying out the nose because of inflation. And everyone is wondering, what in the world can we do to stop this, to stop these rising gas prices, stop these rising grocery prices? Uh, people don't always understand why it's happening. You know, you got Joe Biden out there saying, don't look at me. It's Vladimir Putin's fault. <laughs> uh, but uh, but it is, uh, you know, this it's like this is a, a moment in political history that was made for Ron Paul libertarians because yes. we are the ones who've been warning about inflation uh, and the consequences of all this uh, money printing for a long time. And the consequences are finally here. And uh, it's our time to really lay out how do we how do we move forward? How do we get out of this? We've got the solutions when others don't. It, it's so funny, man. Um, and, and I'm sure you've seen and heard this because you're talking to people. You're talking to voters every day. You know, you're knocking doors. You're making phone calls. You're, you're meeting these people in person. And it's uh, and what I've noticed just talking to my neighbors, just people around town. It's there's such a disconnect between you know, the elites and the rest of the people. Like, if you turn on cable news, all, like, the, the financial, quote-unquote, experts, you know, like the people that told you to, like, buy Bear Stearns in 2007, <laughs> people like that are, are debating whether or not we're going to be in a recession by the end of the year. Or, you know, like, uh, we'll see what quarter two's GDP numbers are, and then we'll see if we're in a recession or not. I'm sure you've noticed this, you know, just talking to real Americans on a daily basis. Everybody knows we're already in a recession. Like people like that's how people talk. They're like, man, this recession sucks. You know what I mean? Gas is five dollars. Chicken breast is seven dollars a pound. You know, like whatever. Like people kind of already know people know what time it is. You know what I mean? So like as these as these guys on TV, as the politicians and and Jay Powell and the Fed, they're talking about, oh, will this cause a recession? You know, when if and when we're in a recession? I don't know, man. Like, people just aren't buying it. People know what's going on. People are seeing their grocery bill and their gas bill and everything else. And, um, 
I don't know. It, it's like the, the 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 American people, your average citizens, have their finger on the pulse of what's going on economically more than the elites do. I think. Right, and of course, those of us who understand Austrian economics know that the recession is not the problem. Right. The recession is the correction from the from the the real underlying problem, which was the bubble itself. Yes. You know, funded through artificial credit expansion, uh, just printing money, putting it out there into the economy, which was not backed by real kind of real savings and real um, and people deferring consumption and wanting to actually invest in, you know, longer term projects. Uh, they've been you know, this is this is the whole system of currency manipulation that our country has been under the sway of for the last hundred years. And as much as we always like to point to, you know, uh, other countries like, uh, you know, Donald Trump would famously talk about the currency manipulation going on in China. Certainly there's currency manipulation going on across the world, but the kings of currency manipulation are those who inhabit the central bank here in America, the Federal Reserve. And we will never get things under control until we really wrestle with the fact that this is this is not an honest system. Uh, this uh, this system where they can just print money out of thin air. We need to go back to something where we have sound currency that uh, cannot be so easily manipulated. I think if there's one silver lining, everybody hates the Federal Reserve now. <laughs> you know, obviously people that understand Austrian economics always have, and um, the people that don't really understand economics or the roots of the problem are you know now blaming the Federal Reserve for um, you know for either on one side not controlling inflation or the other side, you know, quote-unquote causing a recession, which, of course, is ridiculous. But, uh, you know, I mean, when both sides are, are uh, crapping on the Federal Reserve, I guess, you know, <laughs> you know I'm not, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to try to hold them back, obviously, even if they're doing it for the wrong reason. Yeah, you know, I did see an article. I don't remember where this was, but it was in one of these, you know, corporate press outlets. It was basically saying uh, the headline was, you know, don't be so hard on the Federal Reserve. They have a really hard <laughs> job to do. It's like it's really it's actually really hard to know what interest rates should be. And it's really actually hard to, you know, be able to just plan the economy. And it's like, yeah, it is really hard. It's an impossible job, which is why no one should do it. We should leave it to the marketplace. We should, you know, we, we shouldn't have central economic planning. I mean, this is what brought down the Soviet Union and it's what's bringing down the United States of America. We like to think that our, our country is so different from theirs, but over time we have become more and more similar as we have concentrated more and more economic power in the hands of central authorities in Washington, D.C. Yeah, it's a job so hard. I'd say you need at least, uh, you know, 330 million or so people to <laughs> uh, to do it. You know, I don't think uh, right. a handful of uh, suits are, are up to the task. Um, right. Plans by the many instead of plans by the few. Absolutely. Um, so, man, th this past week has been uh, quite the roller coaster ride. I mean, we've we've heard our whole lives um, that we need to keep voting for Republicans, you know, even if we don't like, you know, whoever Republican is on the ballot at the time. So we can get, you know, constitutionalist justices on the Supreme Court. And my whole life, the Supreme Court has done next to nothing to defend either the Constitution or, more importantly, um, the God-given rights of the American people. And then this last week happened. Um, obviously, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, which, you know, I'm pro-life. I Obviously, I'm happy about this because I think it'll save the lives of innocent children. But um, 
you know, we talked about the abortion issue on Monday. Like, you know, big picture, this strikes an enormous blow to the authority of the federal government. And I think it's going to set us down a path towards uh, more federalism, towards decentralization. Um, and then we have the, the New York gun case, um, which we'll get into that more in a second. But I assume this is going to open the doors uh, to the, the Supreme Court striking down unconstitutional gun laws across the country. I mean, I think this is going to result in tens of millions um, of Americans yeah. being able to defend themselves. And then there's these two religious liberty decisions, one on um, school choice uh, up in Maine, I believe, um, and then the other, the, the public prayer case. Um, so, I mean, I never thought I'd see the day, but <laughs> this Supreme Court, um, they're on an absolute roll right now. I mean, they seem pretty determined to free the American people. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't expect the last, you know, you know, six, seven days or so, uh, I, I didn't expect this to maybe ever happen, but, I mean, what a week. I mean, I, I think, uh, and it, we'll, we'll get into the, the specifics in a second, but it's been a heck of a week. What a difference it makes to have had Donald Trump as president instead of Hillary Clinton as president. Yeah. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Can you imagine if Hillary Clinton had been in there? I guess she would, maybe they should still be president today. Uh, and, uh, I mean, boy, if, if she was the one filling, uh, Scalia's seat and if she was one uh, I mean I guess some of these folks voluntarily stepped down uh, and were replaced but um, uh, of course she would have replaced Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, who knows if Kennedy would have stepped down or not if, if she would have been there she, so she would have replaced at least two two justices she would have flipped uh, uh, she would have taken out you know Scalia and put in another progressive uh, hack uh, and of course, she would have replaced Ruth Bader Ginsburg with someone someone like her. So, yeah, it would have been a very different world that we were living in. And, uh, you know, there's a Supreme Court case that is still um, coming down the pike that could be, you know, even more significant than anything that has come so far. I mean, who who knows? But there's a case against the EPA, which is uh, challenging the very idea of um uh, of co congressional delegation of authority to executive branch agencies. So there's a possibility that um, that the the courts could reassert the non-delegation doctrine that the Congress that Congress does not have the authority to delegate its lawmaking authority to these unelected bureaucracies. And I saw someone kind of gnashing their teeth about this on Twitter saying, you know, if they did this, this would like strike down like 85 percent of what the federal government does as if that's a bad thing. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, 85 percent of what the federal government does is grossly unconstitutional. You, you want to talk to Democrats who talk about, you know, how great democracy is. They're always chanting. This is what democracy looks like. This is not what democracy looks like. Democracy is not unelected bureaucrats making laws that govern you and your family down to the most intimate details of your life, whether it's, I mean, even what kind of toilets you can have in your home, uh, that this, that's not democracy. How do we hold these people accountable? We can't vote them out of office. These powers go to them and they are, they are never rescinded. And yeah. we, we have gradually, Congress has become a sideshow. It's become a circus where they, they, they're they always fighting about these trivial things kind of on the margins while the big decisions are made by the unelected bureaucrats. So that could be even more significant than everything else. And, of course, I'm a big fan of the decisions that have already come down 
you know, restoring federalism to the states on so many issues, restoring, uh, you know, big advancements for school choice. I'm proud to see Maine playing a role in in that, my, my home state. Of course, I'm very excited about the uh, the decision on gun rights. You know, I wrote an op-ed that was published in The Federalist last year, kind of looking at kind of the different legal arguments and what might have happened. And I, I had said there were kind of three different scenarios that could have happened. Um, of course, you know, they want to call the courts radical. The radical thing would have been for the courts to declare constitutional carry in all 50 states. Right. Right. That's not what they did. Um, they just struck down May issue concealed carry permitting laws, which, uh, you know, you've got kind of three different kinds of permitting laws in the states may issue, shall issue and constitutional carry. Of course, I believe constitutional carry is what is truly aligned with the Constitution. You don't need a permit to exercise your right to keep and bear arms. The Constitution is your permit. But on the other end of that, you've got these may issue states like New York and there's about six states in the country where you ha- not only do you have to jump through many arbitrary hoops in order to apply for your concealed carry permit, but at the end of the day, that, before you get that permit, after you jump through all those hoops, there's a local government official who – on completely arbitrary grounds, decides whether they like you or not. Do they want to give you this permit or not? It's completely at their discretion. Uh, and the courts, you know, I'm reading through Clarence Thomas's, um, ma- you know, majority opinion that that he wrote on this, but I think it's pretty solid ground. Um, I mean, that effectively nullifies the Second Amendment. If, if uh, you know, they say that shall issue states are, in their opinion, constitutional, that you can have these hoops people have to jump through. But at the end of the day, if they jump through the hoops, they have to get a permit out of it if they meet all the criteria. But to just have some local government official says, eh, I don't like you. I'm not letting you get this permit. That's 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 unconstitutional. Now, I will say I've heard from some libertarians who argue that, you know, isn't this a centralization of power? Isn't this taking away state authority? Um, and they're not wrong. Um, this is built. This decision is built on a foundation called the um, the incorporation doctrine, which is basically the idea that the 14th Amendment uh, incorporated the Bill of Rights to the states, because, of course, before the 14th Amendment, the, the Bill of Rights was only written to restrict the power of the federal government, right. not the states. Uh, the states had total total discretion on these sorts of things. I mean, you go back to the early republic. I mean, you had states with established religions. Massachusetts had established, you know, you know, a, official religion of the state. You know, the the uh, First Amendment only prohibited Congress from establishing religion. Well, you know, and but at, over time, I think it was just a good idea. States gradually moved away from that. Um, and when the Fourteenth Amendment was passed, it was you know focused on. You know, trying to make sure that uh, freed slaves in the South had their full rights uh, protected and were not, you know, discriminated against and treated unequally by 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 the states that they lived in. Uh, some argue that the Fourteenth Amendment was not intended to do to be interpreted so broadly as it is today, uh, as apply in the way that it is. But of course, the incorporation doctrine is a progressive precedent that was established very much in the early 20th century, and um, it has been applied to things like banning prayer in schools 
And so for me, I think we could have a debate about whether or not the incorporation doctrine is the right way to interpret the 14th Amendment or not. But if this is the precedent that we are living under, it should not just be applied to liberal causes. It should apply equally to conservative causes. So if our federal government can ban prayer in schools because they say it violates the First Amendment, then our federal government can, then then the courts can certainly strike down uh, uh, may issue uh, permitting laws as violating the Second Amendment and the Fourteenth Amendment. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the 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 corporate press, you know, forgot all about. Um, this decision because it was it was on Thursday and then the Roe v. Wade decision or the Dobbs decision was on Friday, but on Thursday I think it was Slate had the most wonderful headline I've ever seen, um, and uh, they were like because they you know somebody actually did the homework and read the Clarence Thomas opinion they were like oh no the the Thomas opinion basically says that all gun laws are unconstitutional. I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> let's have some fun, buddy. <laughs> like that's, I mean, they were, you know, they were crying in their in their morning coffee over it. But yeah, that's pretty much what Clarence Thomas said um, in in that opinion. So I I do think that this is going to set precedent moving forward. I think a lot of people are going to be able to carry guns and protect their families. Um, yeah, you know, well, fast well, forward well, a year they... or two, I, I think a lot of these laws are yeah. going to get struck down across the country. Well, you know, I didn't read it quite that way. I don't, they didn't strike down all gun laws. Not all gun laws, yeah. I mean, I mean, it was specifically kind of the arbitrariness of the May issue, uh, the May issue regimes. Uh, and in the opinion, they, they did even specifically say that, you know, historical precedent suggests that effectively, like, you know, gun-free zones are constitutional because, you know, certain special places. And I heard that New York is going to try to respond by saying, okay, well, all of Manhattan's a gun-free zone. You can't carry within 10,000 feet of public transportation or 10,000 feet of cemeteries or 10,000 feet. It's like basically, you know, they're trying to kind of work around this now and say, all right, if we just declare so many gun-free zones, we're going to effectively, everything is within 10,000 feet of one of these things. And so all of Manhattan is is, is a gun-free zone. I think that if they try to do that, it's, it's clear what they're doing. And um, that will certainly end up in the courts, and I can't imagine that that being upheld. Um, but uh, but yeah, they're they're going to try to find every single way they can to try to get around this. And you know, of course, I I don't have to say this. You know this, and I'm sure your audience knows this. But you know, these these laws that they're putting in place in the name of public safety do not enhance public safety because they're they rest on the premise that if someone wants to commit a crime against someone else with a firearm, they're going to stop and make sure that they have the proper paperwork to carry the firearm in the first place. When there's no proper paperwork you can get to commit murder or rob a bank or anything like that. So the idea that, oh, well, we're going to tack five years on top of your sentence for murder, which could carry already the death penalty in certain in certain jurisdictions. It's like you got to it's 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 very stupid on the face of it. I think anyone can understand a criminal who wants to commit a, a, a violent crime with a firearm is not going to stop to make sure they've got the proper paperwork first. Right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, you know, I, I mentioned this on Monday, but I, I think it's worth mentioning again. It's a massive white pill that we've had these victories at the Supreme Court um, this year. I mean, there's like, there's been some dark days for the Republic lately, man. And, We've had these victories for individual liberty in a time where we have maybe the most authoritarian presidential regime since FDR. 
And I mean, the Democrats who have gone completely off the rails control both houses of Congress. You know, like you weren't expecting, uh, you know, th- for things to actually work out <laughs> the, the way the way they did. You know, especially in a time like this. So, I mean, you've always been a, a happy warrior, Eric. You know, a lot more than me. I, I tend to be a little bit more pessimistic than you. I think. I think you've just spent more time around Ron Paul. I think that <laughs> maybe that's why. Um, but you just never know when things are actually going to work the way the Constitution intended. I, I'm just personally. I'm an anarchist, so I'm not. I'm not used to it. I tend to always, you know, view things uh, with with dread, <laughs> looking towards the future. But it's like, it's one of those massive white pills, man. I mean, in a time where the left controls everything, you see, like the the, the cultural levers are all controlled by the left, and all of this, and it, the system worked the way it was supposed to, you know, for once. And it's like, uh, you know, it's almost it's strange because I didn't see it coming, but. Um, you know, maybe people should follow in your footsteps and be a little bit more of a happy warrior. You know, maybe we shouldn't complain so much. We can should just keep our eyes on the ball and keep fighting for liberty and, and you know, not get so down when things uh, when things look dark. Yeah. Well, you know, it certainly is relieving to see that on the federal level, there is, in fact, a third branch of government. Uh, and um, and it's it's awesome to see, especially, you know, people like Clarence Thomas and Neil Gorsuch and some of these really principled uh, you know, some of these really principled judges who seem to be, you know, looking to history and trying to understand the Constitution through a, um, a an, an originalist framework. It's very encouraging to see that, um, you know, it's it's very encouraging to see th- that, that the tide is turning there. Uh, of course, you know, you talk about being a happy warrior. I, I, I think for me, I always just, you know. I think there's a silver lining to everything, even when the the government is cracking down, even when they are becoming increasingly tyrannical. I mean, I look at I mean, look at how tyrannical the government became in recent years. But, you know, when you look at just how blatantly and how ferociously they were, you know, cracking down on the people, it's because they don't feel like they're in control anymore. They feel like they have to. They, they would much rather be, you know, uh, operating under this illusion that, uh, oh, you know, they're our great benevolent government and they just want what's best for us. And, you know, it's like I always think about that scene from Atlas Shrugged where the government wants Hank Reardon's formula for the Reardon medal. Right. And Hank says, says to them, uh, you can have it. But you need to come and take it. You need to bring your guns. You need to bring the military. You need to bring you need to come with force and violence and you need to take it from me. And I'll give it to you then. And they say, oh, no, no, we're not that kind of people. Well, we, we don't want to use violence. We're not violent people. We just want you to give it to us. It's like, well, I'm not going to give it to you. So you have to come and take it. The whole point is exposing what they are. They want to maintain this this fiction, this illusion that. You know, there's this that almost there's like a voluntariness to this all, but it isn't voluntary. They're the people with the guns and they're trying to do to us what they want. And the thing, you know, and maybe it's 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 to our perhaps to our um, to our what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, It's in our self-interest not to fight them so hard that they kill us. (laughs) Right. But but to resist enough that they have to expose to to the world what exactly they are and what their nature is. Yeah. And there's been a lot of it. I mean, obviously, starting with COVID, um, I mean, you've seen uh, the, the cops 
exposing themselves. I mean, through um, like one allowing all the riots in like summer 2020, and and a, a a positive development out of that is as horrific as all that was is that people everybody went out and bought a gun. <laughs> you know, like gun gun ownership surged um, in 2020 and 2021. Um, it's sort of leveled out now because you know we're in a recession and everybody's broke. But um, you know, it's something like. Forty-four percent of first-time gun purchasers in 2020 were black. Um, you know, despite you know black Americans only, I think it's like less than 13 percent of the the population of the country. So it's like all these minority groups, you know, groups without you know high levels of gun ownership. All they all went out and bought guns. You know, they all took yeah. um, defending their family seriously and and decided to you know step up and 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 buy a gun. And it's like. Yeah, a lot of the illusions of government have been crumbling. I mean, you saw that in this tragedy um, down in Texas, the school shooting. You saw the cops stand by and do nothing for what an hour or, or something as kids were getting killed. You know, people are are looking at government and and they're right. not buying it. <laughs> they're not they're not right. buying it anymore. Right. The left really wants us to take the lesson out of Uvalde that you know guns are bad and we we need to take guns away from people when. We could, the more we learn about it, the real lesson is you cannot depend on the cops. You can't because at the end of the day, I mean, like this isn't all cops. I know some very good cops who are like, you know, I'd much rather have someone in law enforcement who believes in the Constitution and understands the Bill of Rights than someone who doesn't. So I'm not like I'm not, you know, I'm not one of these all cops are bad kind of people. I think there's a lot of good, good law enforcement officers out there. Of course. But at the end of the day, you know, there's there is is judicial precedent that at the end of the day, they have no obligation to defend you. Uh, and that and that uh, clearly in Texas, these these the, the, this law enforcement agency, these cops were primarily concerned with their own safety and their own security. And they weren't willing to risk themselves in order to defend the lives of these defenseless children that were being mowed down by this by this madman. So, I mean, I think it's an indictment of gun-free zones more than anything else. It's this idea that the, the police will rush in and save you, maybe sometimes, not always, even when they can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, after all these major victories at the Supreme Court, you are seeing some, you know, some people on the right, like pundits and elected officials, but some of, like, the more establishment-type, you know, like center-right uh, pundits, they they're they're they seem very worried right now. I mean, maybe it's because like Republicans aren't used to actually getting, actually winning <laughs> ever. You know, so it's like even when we have our people, you know, win office, you know, it's on a federal level, you know, not not on a state level, mm -hmm. but on a federal level, you you don't see very many victories for the right. Um, so maybe they're just not used. They don't know how to handle it. But you know, they a lot of people you're, you're hearing rumblings that that people are afraid, like the Dobbs decision will hurt. Republicans electorally somehow. Um, I don't know if these people just love losing. They, they they like the comfort of you know being able to complain about the left without the pressure of actually um, advancing their agenda at all ever. You know, but I just think it's complete nonsense, man. I I, I don't think there's enough you know ab abortion enthusiasts, I guess you could call them, um, to to like hurt Republicans right now. I mean, like yeah. you said. Um, what what people are actually concerned with, like gas is six bucks a gallon. They can't afford food. You know, uh, prices are skyrocketing everywhere. We're in a recession that's going to be more than likely just as bad, if not worse, as 2008. I think the Democrats are just going to get punished, man. I, I think it really is. I don't think this is time for Republicans to be timid. 
I don't know why. There, you know, maybe it's just that conservative instinct to like draw back. You know, anytime you face any resistance. Uh, but what would you say to you know elected Republicans say? Who are who are scared watching like the the pro-abortion demonstrations, yeah. watching all the hate online from like the left-wing activists and all that. The the people that are their instinct is to be timid and to you know not go for broke here. Well, what would you say to people like that? Yeah, well, I I, I think on the abortion decision, um, you know, there's, there's I don't mean I, that, I, don't, just, I don't mean on that specifically. I just mean yeah, you well, know, that, but yeah. but I well I do think it's worth because that's the one I hear about the most when when um. Uh, people are concerned about how these things might might affect the elections. Right. I think it will have. So so there's there's two potential effects we need to look at. One is, and I think this is true. I think that the decision may motivate the Democrat Party pro-abortion base to come out and vote when they didn't have much to vote for before. Everyone was kind of feeling bad about kind of. Joe Biden and the Democrats and their failures and and all of that. So I do think you may see more voter turnout among the Democrat Party base than you would have before because of this. But as for swing voters, I don't think it's going to have that much of an effect on swing voters. I don't I don't think many of these things are going to have an effect on swing voters. Swing voters, but like 80 percent, you poll people like 80 percent in this country. Number one issue is inflation. People are concerned about the economy. People are concerned about, you know, watching their retirements disappear, their 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 um, their their savings and their paychecks be eroded. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's what people care about. And that's what I think ultimately Republicans would be wise to really focus on having a strong economic message, how we're going to get inflation under control, how we're going to fight wasteful government spending and how we're going to, you know, make make America, you know, prosperous again. Uh, that So, yeah, I think that's where things are. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I, I went over to Real Clear Politics this morning um, just to check out where where they have Biden's average. And, you know, you never trust you have to take all the polling with a grain of salt. But, you know, Real Clear Politics their average seems to be somewhat close to reality, typically. Um, and I sort of expected some sort of bump in Joe Biden's, and, and the Democrats uh, more generally, their, their polling numbers, because the left is so energized right now. Um, but that didn't happen at all. I mean, that has not happened at all. There's been uh, at several um, new polls that have come out in the last couple days, and every single day Joe Biden is hitting a new low. Um, in terms of his his overall approval, um, Real Clear Politics has him at right now this morning at 37.9 percent approve, 57.5 percent disapprove, a net disapproval of 19.6 points. I mean that that's crazy. For perspective, Donald Trump left office and it was like January 20th, 2021. This is after he lost the election, and he was on TV complaining about election results every day. This is after. January 6th, for whatever that's worth. This is in the middle of a global pandemic when, when the entire country's been locked down for the last nine months. Okay, and this is with the entire press corps attacking him 24-7. He was at 41.1% approval. That's January 2021. <laughs> in his lowest moment in, in office, he was 3.2 3 points ahead of where Joe Biden is right now. And, and, and this is with the entire press trying to prop up Joe Biden. This is with the entire culture trying to prop up Joe Biden. 
He has everything at his disposal. And he's at 37.9%. I mean, it's like, I, I, I don't know, like whatever boost the Democrats thought Joe was going to get, I don't think it's common. I don't know where his, his floor is, where his, where what the actual Democratic base is. I figured it was around 40% maybe. Um, you know, Democrats typically have, you know, higher registration levels than, than Republicans do. But I don't know, is it 30%? Like, I don't even know what his floor is. Um, it, you know, it's encouraging that the American people haven't been, like, I'm you know, looking for a silver lining. It is encouraging that, you know, the Democrats, you know, they're doing this January 6th, 6th commission stuff. It's all televised. They're, they're trying to make a big deal about all that. You know, they're, they're really talking, they're playing up the abortion issue. You know, I'm glad Americans aren't falling for it. I mean, they're like, yeah, who cares? Gas is 550. Like, I can't afford, you know, I can't afford food for my kids. You know, it's like people aren't buying it. They're not falling for the propaganda. Um, and I think these these abysmal poll numbers for a uh, generic congressional ballot consistently has Republicans up between five and eight points, which is bananas. You know, the American people are just not falling for the propaganda. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's um, yeah. I mean, it it is interesting. You know, you turn on any of the uh, any of the cable news channels, I guess, with the exception of Fox. Um, and yeah, it's it's wall to wall coverage of things that people don't care about, things that the Washington, D.C. regime cares about, things that they want people to care about. But when you can't feed your family, you have different priorities. And, um, yeah, it's it's, uh, you know, it's very revealing, I think, kind of going back to what you were saying earlier in the in the podcast about how uh, so many of these corporate press outlets are telling people, well, it's not that bad. Uh, You know, inflation. I mean, is it really that bad? Gas prices, are they really that bad? Why don't you get an electric car? You know, it's like (laughs) obviously a lot of these things are absurd on their face, but but it really I mean, when you it, it really makes sense when you understand how inflation works, that it is the people connected to the regime who benefit from inflation, because the closer you are to the money printing machine, the sooner you get the newly printed dollars before they go into the economy and bid up the price of everything else. So there is this wealth transfer happening right from the the savings and the paychecks, right of the savings and paychecks of the working and middle class people of America into the Washington, D.C. regime, and then filtered from there to all of their pet cronies. And and uh, of course, you know, uh, you you turn on a lot of these cable news shows and you see who is buying advertising. It's the military industrial complex, Boeing and Raytheon. It's always been very interesting to me to think like, huh, why is Boeing advertising on like CNN? Like how many people watching CNN are in the are in the uh, are in the market for like a multi-million dollar jet? You know, <laughs> it, it, it's it, not many. I would imagine what it really is, though, is it's 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 a it's a payoff to these to these corporate press uh, outlets yeah. to provide ad to basically be the advertisers for the wars for the military industrial complex. It's why CNN will will freaks out whenever Donald Trump tried to get us out of a war, and whenever a president 
and the regime wants us into a war, they are the propaganda selling us on how important it is, how we're saving lives across the world or defending democracy, even as we destroy democracies, overthrow democratically elected regimes and and put uh, di- dictators in place, as long as there are dictators who will do what the Washington, D.C. regime wants. So, yeah, it's it, we get a distorted view because these are the groups that are benefiting from inflation at the expense of the rest of us. And they think that we are so stupid that they convince us that this was all for our own good. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. Um, I, I don't really know what Democrats can run on heading into the midterms. Um I mean, I, I don't know. We hate Republicans. F. Clarence Thomas. That's just not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it when you know during a recession. Um, I mean, they need to somehow convince their constituents that their Democrat policies make their lives better, and that's a real tough sell right now. Like, for instance, what what is your opponent running on? Like, what what is his what is his platform? What is he promising to do? My opponent. Uh, well, I'm not sure what she's running on. <laughs> I mean. To, to, <laughs> To, to be honest, like I look at some of the campaign materials put out and and to be fair, it's not just my Democrat. But I think a lot of politicians often, especially in local races, often just run on. Aren't I a nice guy? Yeah. yeah. Don't you yeah. want a nice person representing you? Look, here's some pictures of me like talking with, you know, you know, kissing hands and shaking babies. You know, look at how, <laughs> look at how nice I am. I obviously you know, you're not supposed to shake babies here. Anyway, anyway, uh, Fr- frowned, but, upon, um, frowned upon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. If you're if you're if you're kissing hands and shaking babies, you're doing it in reverse. You got to get it the other way around. But um, but yeah, I, I think oftentimes in local politics, this is this is what happens is it's just basically a personality contest. It's just people hoping that, well, I've got the right letter next to my name and look, I'm warm and friendly and. What am I going to do for you? Well, let's not really talk about that. Just vote for me. I've got the right letter next to my name. And I, you know, go to the local potluck. Uh, and oftentimes that works because when you have two candidates who are running and it's all it's just a resume contest on both sides, then one of them's got to win. I, I think that's where we actually really have an advantage in the liberty movement because we have things that we believe in. We have convictions and principles and and ideas on how to fix things. And uh, when you put that up against someone who just says, hey, vote for me, I'm the nice guy versus vote for me, uh, I'm going to run to, uh, you know, restrain spending, uh, cut the taxes to provide immediate cost of living relief. I'm going to we're going to fight the currency manipulators in Washington, D.C. We're going to have welfare reform to get people back to work so we can start producing goods and services again. So there's more to go around when we have actual solutions and and we can explain uh, you know, our, our principles, uh, that's attractive to people. I think especially in politics these days, as we've seen with the popularity of the Ron Pauls and the Bernie Sanders and the and the and the Donald Trumps. I mean, kind of wherever kind of you are on the political spectrum, people want authenticity. People want people who authentically believe in things. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I do think that we are standing on fertile ground right now. Uh, in terms of spreading the ideas of liberty, I, I think the first thing you said as soon as you started the show is it's a good time uh, to be a, a Ron Paul Republican, and I absolutely, um, I absolutely believe that's true. I think there's a, a large percentage of the American people that are ready uh, to take some of their freedom back. Uh, I think COVID showed them a lot. I think, uh, like like you said, the facade of of 
the illusions, all, all these illusions of government have been uh, cracking before our very eyes. And I think uh, I think now's the time. I don't think it's it's time to be timid. I think it's time to to really go for broke. And uh, I'm glad you decided to run again. And uh, before I let you go, man, um, where can everybody follow you online? Where can everybody uh, donate, uh, volunteer, get involved with the campaign, all that good stuff? Yeah, you can follow me always on Twitter at Senator Brakey. You can follow my Facebook page, uh, Eric Brakey for Maine Senate. And you can go to BrakeyForSenate.com and chip in. And let me make this really quick pitch to to your listeners. Absolutely. My Democrat opponent in Maine, we have this really uh, it's a stupid program. They call it the Clean Elections Program. There's nothing clean about it. It's really it's a welfare for politicians program where candidates for office, uh, including my opponent, can get up to $70,000 in taxpayer money to run their campaigns. And as the amount of money has like climbed up there to become more and more you know, welfare checks the politicians get from the taxpayers, a lot of Republicans even have said, ah, well, how can we compete against this? Let's uh, be a part of the system. If you can't beat them, join them. Uh, I've never done that. I've never taken a dime of taxpayer money to run my campaign. I don't think that I could honestly tell people that I was a fiscal conservative who was going to restrain wasteful spending if the first thing I did was take $70,000 from the taxpayers to buy yard signs. Uh, but that does mean I need help from regular people who believe in the message, voluntarily willing to chip in to help buy us yard signs uh, and campaign mail and and all the rest. Uh, so if you if you'd like to see a liberty champion back in the Maine Senate and, of course, the issues that I fight for when I sponsored and passed constitutional carry in Maine, that became uh, a domino effect across the country. What happens in the state legislatures affects the entire country. So if you'd like to see me back in there, please go to BrakeyForSenate.com. Even chipping in five bucks makes a big difference. Uh, I appreciate it very much, Brady, you having me on. And uh, furthermore, my opinion is the Federal Reserve should be destroyed. Couldn't agree more, my brother. Uh, hopefully we'll do this again soon. Uh, I know times are tough, guys, but if you can't afford it, definitely go to Eric's website. Donate whatever you can. Um, and like you said, I'll just reiterate it. Um, you know, you, you, served, you served one term, right, before? In the, I served two terms. You served two terms? In those two terms, he got a lot done um, for the liberty movement. He did a lot to free the people of Maine. Um, you know, it, it, obviously we, we're enjoying the, the victories at the Supreme Court level. Um, we're enjoying it so much because it doesn't happen very often. <laughs> um, and because it doesn't happen very often on a federal level, um, the, the advancements towards individual liberty in this country almost always happen at the state level. It's extremely important um, that we send guys like Eric uh, to the state legislatures. Honestly, it's more important than than getting the right congressman elected uh, 90% of the time, in my opinion. So if you can afford it, um, you know, go chip in. Uh, any, any bit helps. Uh, that's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Monday. No gimmicks. Thank you.